The following program does not necessarily reflect the views of the staff or management of WFMD. Welcome once again to the Faith Debate on 930 WFMD and 99.9 HD2 and online at WFMD.com. I'm Troy Skinner. You can find all sorts of ways to access me and my church, Household of Faith in Christ, at my church's website, householdoffaithinchrist.com. As always now, joined on the Faith Debate uh, panel with, with me as uh, Imran Razvi, Daniel Razvi, and David Forsey. All four of us are pastors involved with house churches in Frederick County. If you'd like to find out more, again, just go to householdoffaithinchrist.com. You can connect with me, and I'd love to talk with you about it. If you count yourself as a Christian, and you're not going to church, you're in disobedience, you need to find a church. However, finding a good church can be tough. And maybe a house church just doesn't seem like it's your thing, whatever. That's okay. Contact me anyway. I would love to have an opportunity to try to help you find a good, biblically faithful, uh, gospel-proclaiming, Christ-exalting church. There are at least three in Frederick County that I know of, and they're all represented in this room. But maybe there's another one. Now, they're, they're, in, within the region there are, I'm not sure how many in Frederick County there are, to be honest, but I just made a whole bunch of pastor friends mad. But uh, trust me, I know most of you guys, and most of you guys, I would not go to your church. There's a reason why I have my own church, okay? There's a reason, all right? And to be honest, you probably wouldn't go to my church either. You know why? Because you can't handle the truth. The truth is... Because the reality, we're talking about the niceness. The last two weeks, we've been talking about niceness and how that's a problem, you know, and, and all that. So the niceness problem extends to the gospel. Why does the gospel get proclaimed? Because in my, if you're going to do a full-orbed, uh, well-rounded presentation of the gospel, in my opinion, there are five elements that get touched upon. And this is how I teach the sharing of the gospel at, my, at, at uh, Household of Faith in Christ, by the way. At, at people who attend my church learn about sharing the gospel uh, incorporating these five elements, and then we practice using each of the five as the starting point. And the reason we do that is because in everyday conversation, we think, oh, I would share the gospel if only, you know, the opportunity were there. The opportunity's there. We just don't recognize it because we've all been raised up with the evangelism explosion, the idea of, hey, you know, the Ten Commandments, have you broken any of them? Well, then you're a sinner. What are you going to do about that? And we start with the problem, and then Jesus' is the solution. And it's this very narrow avenue into talking about the gospel. And that is one of the five ways. But it, so I'll just go in like sequential order. And they're all offensive. That's why I'm talking about this now. So the first is we have a creator, right? We have somebody who made us for relationship with him and with others. He made us so that we would uh, glorify him and enjoy him forever. We have a maker who made us and we're fearfully and wonderfully made. Well, in today's the science world and so many secularists out there who believe in, you know, evolution or uh, some sort of random, uh, you know, chance theory of things popping into existence or whatever, you're going to offend them or you're going to come across as being narrow-minded and backwards and you're going to make the church look bad and that's going to offend me as a Christian. And so it's not very nice for you to, to really go out there and say there's a, that there's a creator God uh, who's, who's sovereign. So that's offensive. Well, on the, the next step, of course, in the chronology is, well, yeah, we're made, we're wonderful and all, but then we, we're fallen. Right? There's sin in the world. So we got, we, we're a mess. Did you just call me a sinner? That's not very nice. Well, but the good news is that there's a rescuer from that sin. Jesus Christ, he lived the perfect life, died the perfect death, and proved that he is who he is by raising from the grave and ascended into heaven where he's ruling now. 
And he is the way. He's the way? Like, there's only one way? It's rather narrow-minded and bigoted of you to say there's just one way, isn't there? It's rather exclusive, isn't it? That's not very nice. And then, on, in response to this good news, this rescuer that we have, um, we, out of gratitude, live a, a life of increasing holiness. We call it sanctification in, in Bible speak. And we want to be increasingly more and more like Christ as we, as we progress in our walk. So we, we're going to still commit sins, but we're saints now, so we don't wallow in them. We pick ourselves up, we move forward, but we still do wrong things, bad things. We need to be held accountable. We need to have people in our lives who are going to challenge us, iron being sharpening iron, and hold us to account when we don't do things that God would tell us to do. Well, that's not very nice. You're calling out my sin? Who are you to call out my sin? Judge not, lest ye be judged, and all that sort of nonsense you hear, right? Because that's the nice thing to do. And, of course, the last step in all of this is that ultimately we share eternity with our baker, with our Savior, in glory, where we will no longer sin. And those who don't accept what God has done for them spend eternity in torment, consigned to hell forever. Well, that's not very nice. So all five elements, right? We have a maker, we've got sin, we've got a redeemer, we, we uh, are in the walk of sanctification, ultimately ending in glorification. That is a full-orbed gospel, and all five parts, pieces, aspects, whatever, are not nice. And so it doesn't get, it doesn't get preached. It doesn't get, sh- doesn't get shared with the world. That, that's a problem. And, and right. you can see, by the way, if you're talking to somebody and, and, and uh, um, they're mentioning a book they read and they say, oh, I mean, I love this book. Wow. Because, I, I, you know, it's, it's, got, it's, a, it's a wonderful comedy. It has a wonderful happy ending. It's like, oh, you know, happy ending. You know, there's the happiest of endings awaiting Christians when we live in glory. And you can start a gospel pro, uh, proclamation with glory, starting with the end point, And say, of course, we have to get there. And the reason we have to get there is because the things are going to be restored the way they were at the beginning because we have a maker who made us for that glory, but we screwed it up through sin. And you can start walking your foot. No matter what somebody example. talks about, you can, you can share the gospel with one of these five points. And a great example of that, you know, what you've been talking about, is Philip with the Ethiopian eunuch. The Ethiopian eunuch was reading Isaiah 53, and he asked Philip, hey, do you know what this means? And it says, Philip started there and explained the gospel beginning from the begin- Genesis to you know, the, the end. So he started there, though, in Isaiah 53, and then told him the whole gospel. So you can start from any part of it. You know, there, there's a lot of entrances, just as long as you hit all those points and, and you make, make that whole story. Yeah. So anyway, so that was a little bit of an instruction moment here on the Faith Debate Show. But the point is, it's diff- it, it feels difficult. Like feelings. We were talking about that a couple weeks ago, right? Feelings. Mm-hmm. It feels difficult because, it, well, it's not going to be received maybe as nice. Well, we've, we've been sold this lie that you have to make friends first before you can make any impact in somebody's life. So you have to be friendly and nice and be accepting of all their problems and sins and issues and challenges and make sure that you're really friends before you tell them anything. But by that time, you're taking part in their, in their situation without even realizing it. We have lost the saltiness. From, you know, where will the world be salted if the, if the saltiness is gone? And, you know, some of the big evangelical leaders uh, have a, a, little, um, a little phrase they like to use that talks about that. Maybe you've, you've heard it. They talk about our, uh, our social capital. You don't want to spend down your social capital. 
You want to maintain your social capital. So you got to be a witness. You got to become friends with the lost and dying world around us. You've got to, you've got to have them like you before you're going to share the truth with them. But what if they never like you? And 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 the way and you know we got spoiled for years because this country was originally established based on uh, some pretty hardy biblical principles. Um, a lot of it is because of direct influence of the scripture. And a lot of it also is because of a really heavy influence from English common law, which is deeply steeped in scripture. <laughs> and so there's a lot of scriptural influence in what made America and his former government what it is. And a lot of the people, they learned how to read by reading the Bible. Uh, the, 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 the primer in, in primary education was scripture. You know, so that was kind of just in our DNA, if you will, as a culture. And we've been living off of the echo and the fumes of that for years. And so there was this assumption that that's, you know, the starting point. That, yeah, they're, they're going to give us room to, to share the gospel with them. Just because they, they kind of generally agree, even if they're not Christians, they generally agree with all these Christian principles. But that's not the world anymore. Right? People don't give you the benefit of the doubt. You're, you're, in fact, if they find out you're a Christian... You're whacked out. You're way out there. You're extreme. Yeah, and people talk about the freedom of religion in this country, right? What does that really mean? If you look at some of the papers and, and documents and stuff, and Daniel was pointing that out, it was really the freedom to worship the one God in different ways, not worship whatever religion you want, not worship the devil, not worship this or that, and have all these different cults. It was, it was worshiping God. God, the Savior. How bigoted of you. But, but there has to be a, we need to have a standard, right? I mean, think about it in the simplest terms. You know, you, you have a house with kids in it, and somebody's got to make the rules. If everybody could just make up the rules as they went along, at some point, somebody has the final stay and says, these are the rules. I'm guessing that's you, David. In your house. Uh, no, it's just whoever's <laughs> the strongest, right? Currently, he's the strongest. <laughs> yeah, when you're old and feeble, you're in trouble. Huh? That's right. Yeah. yeah. To, to your point earlier, I mean, some people get offended by the, the idea that there's only one way to heaven. Oh, well, that's not fair. You know, what if I like this other way? Well, you're going to heaven. So <laughs> it's God's house. So he makes the rules. <laughs> I didn't have to make the rules either. Right. You know, God lets in who he wants to let in. And he's published a list. Here's the entrance requirements for heaven. That's, that's what it is. There's not other entrance requirements. There's no back door to heaven. That's, it is what it is. And I'm sorry if you don't... And like you guys it. are businessmen, right? And yeah. so you have to set the, the, the standard for what your business practices are going to be. And if somebody says, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to completely do something different, and you're going, no, 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 you're not. It's my business. Our logo is our logo. You're not changing out the logo. You know, our sales practices or our fulfillment practices or our billing practices are what they are. You're not going to just change those without informing me and, and letting me weigh in and, and tell you, yeah, okay, this is what we're going to do. You're not gonna just going to do willy-nilly. And so applying that now more broadly, it's not nice to not let the, uh, the migrants who want to cross the southern border come in and get all the free health care and free food and, and subsidized housing and free cell phones or whatever they give them nowadays. I don't know. It's not nice not to do that because we're to welcome the, sh the, the sojourner and they'll try to use biblical language against the Christian. So 
if we're living on a steady diet of nice, well, it is nice to let the sojourner in. Right? It is nice to let the homeless person come in and just ravage my food pantry. Remember, we defined not a nice in 1828 as weak, foolish, effeminate, and so on. So, yeah, it can be weak to it. <laughs> To get help and- See, one of the problems with that is the government has overstepped their bounds and provided things that they're not supposed to provide. And when that happens, then it makes it very difficult to be hospitable, to be welcoming of, of people that need help. If the government did not provide free this, free that, all these different things, then these people that came here would have to work for it, would have to labor for it, and other people can help and support them. When my family immigrated, they immigrated, they were sponsored by my aunt, my parents were, and my aunt and uncle were responsible for my parents, and there was no welfare or freebies and things like that at that point. They had to work, and if they could not work, my uncle and aunt were responsible for making sure that we didn't starve to death. And that was great. It taught us to meld and get into this community, and and, um, I was reading you know, just recently, a billionaire, he said that his, his parents emigrated and his parents taught him that the ladder from poor to success in the U.S. is the shortest it is in anywhere in the country, anywhere in the world. Use it. But now there is no ladder because we're stopping people from using that ladder because the government gives you free stuff. So there's no chance of you climbing that ladder because you're going to stay at the bottom. You're going to stay getting where there's free stuff. And these immigrants, if they're coming here for the free stuff, they don't have that opportunity to actually become great, which this country had a history of and uh, has the ability to do. And it's difficult in the world of nice uh, to try to help people understand that what sounds good on the surface, you know, there's the law of unintended consequences, right? So it, it sounds yeah. nice that, yeah, I'm just, if somebody's having a hard time, we're just going to put them on the public, public dole and until they can get back up on their feet kind of thing. But there, there's no accountability in, in most of these situations. They never get back up on their feet. Yeah, and if any of uh, you guys have ever had chicken eggs hatch, it would be nice to help the chickens hatch out of there because they're struggling. They're pushing hard, and they're just, they're just brand new. But if you did that, those chickens would die because part of the process of getting out of that egg gets their blood moving in a situation, gets them hardy, and get them to survive. But if you crack that egg open and help them get out, they will die. And that's what you do when you have the safety nets and, and, and the, again, the law of unintended consequences. You want to be nice, but what is that, how does that affect everybody? It makes it detrimental to their health. And, and you're saying that it is really the church's job, but particularly believers in general, to be nice in, in that sense, if you're going to define it as help people who need help. Um, With accountability. With accountability, but that's the job of the Christians and the people in, in general. It's not the job of the government. And when the government started to take that job away and they said, oh, we'll fund it by raising taxes, and the churches and the Christians said, oh, well, I guess since you raise taxes, we'll just count that as my donation to the poor, and now I don't have to worry about it. And now we've got the situation where nobody's doing a good job of, of it, and the taxes are still higher. In a sense, everybody's become uh, a victim of what was a few years ago called Trump bucks, and now people call them Biden bucks. You know, all these 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 checks because of the the lockdowns, the mandates, and people were forced out of work. Like, oh, we'll just send you some money to help you get through. It'll pay your rent for a couple of months, maybe, or something like that. I don't know. Uh, but the church, 
uh, that allows people to get, get flabby. But the, the church has grown flabby as a result of depending on government money, too, because if the government spending all this money and doing all these social programs, then the church becomes dependent on, oh, well, the government's doing that, so I guess we won't do our responsibilities anymore. And so now we've got kind of this fat, dumb, and lazy church in general. Yeah, we can spend the money on a bigger building with Not, flashier lights and a nice yeah. sound equipment and a big band. <laughs> I mean, seriously, if, if uh, and I'm not saying that it's necessarily wrong for churches to have big buildings and, and, and fancy lighting and all that sort of stuff, but in most cases, they're probably able to have the big fancy buildings and the big fancy lighting and the smoke machines and all that because the government is spending money on things that maybe the church should be spending money on. I'm, I think there's a bit of a connection, and at least a correlation uh, there. And we see this with um, the government wanted to tie the hands of, of employers. Like I said, you guys are in, in business and you, you owned your own company for a while. Uh, and I can only imagine that there were times when you thought, you know, I want to take a shot on, you know, a few years back, let's say you were doing the whole climbing the trees, knocking down the branches and doing that. Yeah. As, you still do that, but you're doing it as a business owner. And maybe a, a young whippersnapper like Daniel, when he's like, you know, 14, 15, 16 years old and says, hey, I want to climb some of those trees too. You're like, you know, you're kind of young. Don't have a lot of experience. Uh, I'm going to pay a lot of insurance because you know, you're a higher risk, and so that factors into my equation. But you know what? I will give you a shot, but I can only pay you 50 bucks a day for you know for the first week and see how it goes. Well, 50 bucks a day would be far below minimum wage. So something like Daniel has no opportunity to prove himself during that first week, and after the first week, he's like, yeah, hey, you know, you're probably worth 100 bucks a day now. And after a few months, now you're worth, you know, a million dollars a day because our business is booming. But he has no opportunity to get in. And so we got a bunch of people who can't get their careers started. Well, the regulations have really stifled the economy here. I mean, think about this, Troy. If I hired you and you only work for a week, I'm stuck with unemployment insurance. And even though you quit or you fired you because you stole, I still got to pay your unemployment for 99 weeks. You know how that long that is? That's more than two years that I got to pay you when you only work for me a week. Almost two years. Yeah, that's uh, that's six hundred ninety-three days. Yeah. So <laughs> you work for me less than a week, and I fired you because you were incompetent. But now I got to pay unemployment insurance or money for you for two years almost. Yeah, that's crazy. So why would I hire you? Why would I take the risk? By the way, I'm gonna. You know, this is kind of a little bit off subject, but you're a financial guy. Can you help me understand? I've been wondering about this for like almost two years now. So everything falls apart, right? Coming up on two years ago, everything falls apart. Everything gets shut down. And the stock market, predictably, and it makes sense to me, nosedives. It went from like, I don't know, 30-something thousand down to like 18-something thousand. I mean, it almost cut in half. I mean, dramatic in the space of a few months, two, three months, something like that. That makes sense to me. But the lockdowns and stuff, the restrictions continued. The jobs market reports and all the financial indicators continued to look horrible. And yet, here we are. The stock market has rebounded all the way back, has since then set new record highs. How is that possible? Easy. Very easy. The government's printing money like crazy when it's giving money away for free 
and you don't have to pay your rent, you don't have to pay for things that are essential, you're putting it in the market and it's forcing it. So the stock market really did take a crash, a, a real, it was supposed to, and it did in March um, of 2020. And then within the same month, it came back up, or three months. It was the shortest recovery in the history of the stock market. Okay, why was it that? Because we printed three trillion dollars and dumped them in the market. And and to to a larger extent, the market I think has less and less correlation with what's actually happening in the economy, and more and more correlation with speculative and, and uh, large institutional investors that are just manipulating the market. So what and you're so, saying is people were sent a bunch of uh, Trump bucks that they didn't need for rent, and so they just put it into the market. That's that's no. a very basic. Is that what well, you're saying? They, they bought things with it, and that. And increased value of those companies because they brought revenue to those companies. So when you dump in $3 trillion of new money that was never even in existence, that's going to flood the market. It's going to make everything go up. And we're suffering some of the consequences of it now with inflation. But there's just more money in the market than they're supposed to be because it was printed with nothing to back it. But isn't part of the market um, a, a bet on the future? And people who are smart realize that in runaway inflation would be devastating for the economy, which would crush the stock market, one would think. So wouldn't that hedge enthusiasm on buying a bunch of mutual funds and stocks and bonds and stuff? Or how about you would, you would think so. Uh, like I said, there's less and less correlation because a lot of the, <clears throat> the uber-rich people are buying and selling large swaths of the market, which m uh, manipulates it in whatever direction they want. So the average investor that's thinking, oh, well, I think – such and such company is a good bet for the future, I'm going to buy some of it, it has very little impact on the market. So what those small investors are doing is not really uh, as big of a deal as the large hedge fund managers. And there's some of those that are making big money because they, they have the resources to manipulate the market. So it's fake. It's fake. It's fake, but also... Everything's fake. Since the advent of the 401k where you're automatically taking money out of every paycheck and putting it in the market, it doesn't matter what the economy does, what the market does, because money's going to go into the 401ks every week anyways. Every time somebody gets paid, some money's going to the market. So if, if people are, are worried about the future, they would normally stop investing. But they can't do that. They can't just call up and say, hey, I want to stop my 401k contributions. Okay, so if the government's going to just send a bunch of checks to people because they can't work, because the government told them they couldn't work, and then to compensate for all the things, they're just going to print $3 trillion and flood it into the market and invest it in the market to prop up the stock market and all that sort of stuff. And they can just print all the money they want, apparently, without any uh, any reality, negative reality felt from that as of yet. Why not just, can't they just print sure, sure. $100 trillion? A zillion dollars? Sure, there's been negative consequences. Look at the inflation. Inflation is double digits, the large, largest in 40 years. But can't the government just send me more money to compensate for the inflation? And it'll keep inflating. And then we'll just have, like, I'm, I mean, I'm being a little bit facetious, but as a logic exercise, like, what's the biggest number we know? Like, a Googleplex or something like that? Couldn't the, couldn't the government just print a Googleplex amount of money and... Particularly in a digital way, we don't have to have print it, right? Just just so, inject it digitally into everybody's accounts. Then, then the numbers become meaningless, and then you have if everybody has that much money, then, then you become Venezuela. Then, then the, they start, you, you, the but things I think, that you buy with money become more valuable. Isn't that what the non-biblical pagan world is aiming for, though? It's like a Star Trek universe where there is no money. Oh yeah, right. That's, money that's is meaningless. Point. I mean, you you, you have uh, a lot of comments from some world bankers saying things like, "You will own nothing, and you will be happy." Yeah, That's a Charles Klaus uh, quote. And the, the well, you know what? Great reset. I'll give him. I'll give him this benefit of the doubt. I think they're gonna be half right. 
<laughs> Everyone will owe nothing and no one will be happy. All right, we got about a, a, a minute or That's so. Communism. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not even sure. What, to be honest. Will we again, own anything in heaven? Yes. We will own everything. We're co-heirs with Christ. <laughs> the, and Christ the owner build, of everything. Christ is building many rooms for us. So we have... No, I, I mean, I don't mean that as a joke. I mean, seriously, there's, he is king over all. He owns all. And we are co-heirs. And so, yeah, we will have everything we could imagine so, and then some. So all of us there will own everything. Yes. And share it. Yes, because we'll all be in Christ. <laughs> Yeah, communism uh-huh. works if God is in, tr- in charge. Uh, right. And you get right. to have a, a, a somebody in charge. That's perfect. And yeah, and the problem is that we don't, we're, we don't even have communism right now. Or it, it, really, what we, we, we were so worried about the communist boogeyman, we allowed fascism to take over. That's what's going I, on right now. I think now. it's important to recognize that we will not have heaven on earth. Yes, that's true. Good point. Good way to end the show. Uh, this is the Faith Debate. I'm Troy Skinner. That uh, deep-voiced wise man there was uh, David Forsey, <laughs> uh, Daniel Razvi, and Imran Razvi. Also on the show again. Thank you, gentlemen. Find us online at WFMD.com and HouseholdOfFaithInChrist.com. Till next week, 167 and a half hours from, oh, right about now. God bless. <laughs> <laughs>